working for them. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern-day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was a second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern-day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of ending slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us, as well as upcoming events that, where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in any slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Hello and a warm collisions. Why do I see? Welcome to Mr. Steve Messler. How are you doing, Steve? I'm fantastic, pal. How are you guys doing? I am so good. Thank you for coming on the show. Calgary Conspires. I think you did a presentation. My wife is in the room. Our CFO is in the room. Next thing, your name is in my inbox. And boom, we're chatting. I love it. One degree of separation. This good old uh, Calgary, biggest small town I've ever lived in. Yep. Uh, co-founder, co-founded and leads international award-winning NGO. And yes, I'm reading your website <laughs> of Classroom Champions. But also on the second bucket on the other side, which I feel like almost two different episodes, we're going to roll them together. Three-time American Olympian in four-man bobsled. There was uh, a time. Steve, you've got an eclectic, you, you've got, you've got an eclectic, uh, a, a, eclectic background. You and I kind of came together more so around classroom champions and what you do and the role that that plays in the world and why you've chosen to put your energy and passion and, and clearly your excitement towards it. So we'll, we'll, we'll weave the bobsled story in, but tell us, give us a quick little elevator. What's classroom champions all about? And we'll unpack it from there. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me on. Um, having, having lived here for in Calgary for almost 20 years now. Um, which is which is wild. I uh, haven't grown up in Buffalo, being you know, right across the river from Canada. It's been it's been fantastic, and I love it here. And my wife is from here, and are from Strathmore, so close enough. Um, but you know, Classroom Champions was really the 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 birth from my sister and I. My sister's got her PhD in education and social policy, so she's the smart one. I'm the one that that threw myself down mountains for ten years bobsledding. Um, but it, it, Classroom Champions really came down to understanding that schools struggle with teaching kids the things that we hire people for, which is the ability to set and pursue and follow a goal, um, the ability to get along with other people, the, um, the ability to think critically and um, make proper decisions. These are things that traditionally have been, you have to have experience. You have to learn these things outside of school. They're not, they're not things that you can learn in school. We can learn, reading and math and, you know, science and history, but those are things you need life experience for. And I kind of called BS on that and said, uh, you know, look, I, as an athlete, you encapsulate all of those things on a daily basis. And I thought athletes were a great place for that. So Classroom Champions was born from taking the athlete experience, taking the thing that we all hire athletes to come in and motivate our people and extrapolating that into a curriculum, turning that into a mentorship, a virtual mentorship program, and really. Um, you know, 
sucking the nectar out of the athletes who are currently competing, not the gray-haired, has-been, 12-years-ago athletes who can look back and reflect on things in a way that are that is very positive, but also we want and I want the athletes who are in it, the athletes who are on the path, who are in it, who say nothing is more important than the thing I'm doing right now, to put that into kids' heads and 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 take that and do it in a way that is supportive of teachers and engages families and and you know builds into the things that schools need, not just another program that gets thrown on them and then maybe they'll take it, but creating something that schools will invest in. And that's what Classroom Champions has been about. And we're a charity based here in Calgary. Uh, we work with we work in schools across all provinces and territories and across all 50 states. Amazing. Okay, so tying this into the reality of, of you're on, we're on Collisions YYC right now. So this is yep. typically a business-focused audience, and we're all looking at our workforce. And everybody knows we've all read the disjointed, the disconnected, the disillusioned, the disenfranchised, all the things that are affecting right now. But then what I hear you talk about is a school system, and I'm going to throw the word broken out there, which might be aggressive, and I'm not trying to criticize or point fingers, but we have a skill-based system, learn how to do the thing, but it's all the gray area in in between that interpersonal skills, and you and I were joking offline, the upstream and the downstream of an individual who, and we're in Calgary, can drill a hole two miles down and five miles Mm -hmm. across with a level of like rocket rocket scientists down, not up, Mm -hmm. but yet have trouble commingling with their with their with their coworkers. Yeah. Is that just a gap of a broken system that was so skill-based because it was created at a, at, a, at a, in a bygone era of late 1800s early 1900s where it was all about yeah. get you into the factory or get you into the production environment where you can put the bolt in the hole. And that was valuable and we just forgot yeah. to do this other part or is because of its intangibility and so I just asked you 17 things at once. <laughs> no, no, I I mean I I think I tracked most of those things because I I agree with them all. Um Yes, I mean I think from a business perspective, and like look, Classroom Champions is a is a is a you know a small but mighty you know charity based here in Calgary. We've got about eighteen to twenty people who you know who work for okay. us. Yeah, we'll, um, get, we'll get into the dynamics and, you know, of running a building the, and running your own business as well. Yeah, and and but you know big big enough that big enough that um, culture matters and the kinds of people you hire matter. Um, and ultimately, when you look back at the school systems, yeah, I I, I agree. I, I would say I would say broken at this point, <clears throat> and I say broken okay. because they got stretched. They got stretched um, and pushed into a place of you know complete discomfort and, and turned upside down during the pandemic. And ultimately, my hope is that we will ten years from now be better off. The challenge is you've got to, you're going to have a generation of kids who who um, maybe are better off or maybe are worse off. We don't know. We don't know what the, the dramatic learning loss. We don't know what the dramatic um, learning loss in especially socioeconomic you know, differences. We don't know what that's going to turn into. Um, we do know that kids that are in lower socioeconomic um, you know, communities, like whether you're here in Calgary in Northeast Calgary or whether you're talking about in reserves or you're talking about in certain rural communities, we also do know that those kids are also, like, to use an education term, grittier. Like, they don't, you don't have to teach these kids mm. perseverance or resilience. They are, they are resilient. Um, but you do have to teach them other, you know, you do have to teach them how to put that to work. So the, the verdict's going to be still out on what that means. But I, but ultimately, I think we can all agree, work doesn't take place in one room for seven hours sitting at a desk. So if that is how <laughs> we are going to train children for 12 years, that's probably not going to have an output of the kind of kids that we talk about. <laughs> you, you know, again, as you said, we were joking about it. Like I was in leadership development uh, and corporate consulting world here in Calgary when I left bobsled. So I went from 10 years of high performance sport, 
three Olympic games, winning an Olympic gold medal, you know, in a team sport. And then I entered the working world um, and, you know, worked at a whole bunch of companies across Calgary here and, you know, did my Fort Mac tours and trips um, to, you know, to work on both performance management, but also leadership development of, of middle management and executive management. And what I learned was that, like, the the upstream is the schools and the downstream is, you know, what we're doing. Like, why? It's a long-term investment. Education is a long-term investment, which is really hard, right? If you were a company um, and you had a project that wasn't due for 15 years, how hard would it be to motivate your people? How hard would it be to work on that on a daily basis? <laughs> Time span and your ability to perceive that in space is real, yeah. When, when you're, you're, And that's an adult. When you're eight years old and your time invested in your school doesn't come to fruition for 15 years. So I, I think schools have to think about that in a way that we haven't before, because ultimately, what does that turn into if you're a business leader? Um, and I've had this conversation with executives here in Calgary, which is how much money do you spend on remedial math classes at Synovus, at, you know, TC Energy? Well, none. How much do you spend on remedial history classes, science classes? Well, none. How much money do you spend on remedial communication and remedial leadership courses? Hundreds of thousands of dollars. And when I say remedial, I mean active listening. <laughs> I mean, listen to the person in front of you. And like you said, these are people who are incredibly intelligent. They are doing rocket science below the earth. And yet uh, we have to spend a lot of money on that. So I think ultimately the school systems are going to learn. And that's where a focus on mental health in the school systems today. It's broken, but it's it's healing. Recognizing, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe we all are responsible for this. Maybe these are teachable things. They're not just intangibles that you learn how to work harder. You don't because you you're built that way. Uh, socioeconomic. I want to touch on that for a second. Like so many things I want to unpack. Is there? How do you see this fallout when you when you approach an organization? A socioeconomic, a lower socioeconomic school system also tends to be lower funded. If my understanding of the school system, which contributes to the broken and oversized classrooms and teachers that don't have the resources. So when you're out there now as as the business of classroom champions looking to onboard new schools, I'm assuming that's your customer profile as a school and it's a certain type of school and a certain individual in that school that you need to get on board. Is there a different resonance with like a higher end? community versus a community that's maybe struggling uh, financially a little bit more? Like, who's who's buying into this and where do you see? And I, I will the touch the commentation about grit. Like, we'll get into that in a second because I really want to unpack that. But how do you see it from sheer getting classroom champions more exposure and into more schools? Is there a, is there a sweet spot of school and where they're located and kind of their view of the world that leads them more to be a customer or a participant? I'm not sure the words you use, a participant with classroom champions. Um, it's surprisingly no, actually, um, okay. for schools right. that want this for schools. That, yeah. It, it, surprisingly no. Um, and I would to go back to the comment you made earlier, hmm. the underfunded, the, the poorer areas, the low income areas, then underfunded schools. Yes. And no, yes. In that, yes, your tax base, your property, we all know our property taxes. We all check our box. It was a wild thing for me. My first house that I owned here in Canada. Um, and I had to check a box between the the Catholic, the separate school board or the public school board, because in America, right. I forgot about that. in America, it's the public school system. And then anything that's not public or anything that's related, related to religion is private. So they do not get public tax dollars. So it, it was a while I was, I had to like literally call a friend and say, am I missing something here? And this was before I was in classroom champions when I was still bobsledding. Um, hmm. 
And uh, I happen to be I getting feel the there's mail. Another, there's, another, there's another podcast in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to be getting the mail at the house Not, of the four bobsledders and I owned. Um, but I would say, actually, in, in the U.S., it's much more disparate. So in the U.S., it's actually, like, within your zip code, actually, within the, within the school districts, it actually changes. So you have schools that are in poorer areas of the city that are, that are way underfunded relative to others. In Canada, in Calgary, here in Calgary, um, the, the, the funding is pretty well spread out. The difference comes into the parents, how much the parents can invest time, money, energy, advocating. That, that, that's really where that, where that separation happens. But from a, from a social-emotional learning, so SEL, so for all you parents out there, you'll see SEL. Um, a terrible name for social-emotional learning. Um, that is, social-emotional learning is the um, – it's it's defined it's defined here in um, like Alberta education defines it as like students knowledge attitudes and skills to manage emotions build healthy relationships set goals and make decisions um, it's a pretty pretty good in general um, overview they they base it off of the U S which has this thing called Castle which is the collaborative of academic social emotional learning which is kind of like the hub for social emotional learning now this is a thing that's pretty prevalent in all schools now it wasn't there when we were kids. So we talk about a broken system. No, we're definitely not. We talk about a broken school system trying to get better. This is a way. Like, we're actually now carving okay. out time. Canadian schools have always been much better. We've had these virtues programs, you know, circle of trust and these other things that if you know, you've had kids who go through, went through CBE or, or, or calorie separate here. Canadian schools have always been better. Health in the health curriculum has also always been nestled a form of social emotional learning. It's been called non-cognitive. It's been called 21st century skills. Um, it, it goes by different names. It landed at SEL, social emotional learning, um, because who knows why? It's like it's like instead of calling it math, calling it math, it's calling it like addition, subtraction, division, and you know multiplication. Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> but when it comes to the socioeconomic differences and needs, the programs tend to do have a better um, impact. A, 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 like we see in our research, as well as the research that's out there, um, kids who have um, you know less what would be considered like a role model in their in their communities, less role models in their communities tend to react better to these kinds of things because they have less people in their lives outside of school who are who are role modeling, setting a goal, achieving goal, persevering, doing all the healthy habits, eating right. Okay. They, they can afford to eat right in in you know other areas and other areas of the city to to talk to kids about eating vegetables and things like that. They can't afford that. There's a reason why they spend you know lower income you know families typically go to dinner at McDonald's because you can feed your whole family for twenty dollars. You can't do that otherwise. So there are some realities of, of glass ceiling there. But ultimately, um, you know, you're seeing mental health problems in the wealthiest of communities, and you're seeing a need for this. Um, Scott Saxbury, the old founder of Crescent Point, he had said that years ago, Crescent Point's been a longtime partner of Classroom Champions for over 10 years now. And Scott years ago had said, because we really focus on low-income, rural, indigenous populations, um, especially our philanthropic okay. dollars. We now have a big, bit of a different business model that we can get into here, but um, we've opened it up to have the opportunity for higher income and others to be able to bring programming. But ultimately, to finally answer your question, same desire across the board, impact does change because there's just a, a, a bigger delta there. Okay, interesting. Um, back to in the comment you said earlier about, about grid and what you see in those different and like, you know, there's no 
nobody has the market cornered on uh, addictions and, and traumatic experiences, whether it's high income and like there's lots of <laughs> it's a theme of many movies of like yeah. the rich kids that are doing drugs and flunking out of school and because they weren't didn't have a supportive environment. They, they, they just have a better quote. Unquote, they had all the, they they should have had all the things to be they had nicer clothes. They just have a better they just have a better support system. They have a better support system. They have parents yeah. who will force the like square peg through the round hole to get them in university, and eventually they will. That's that's the biggest difference. Is like that they need these kinds of things, these massive interventions, a little less because the parents will, by hook or by crook, may, try to make it happen for them. Right. Interesting. So part, so much of what social the, the SEL foundation, where you've really anchored that around classroom champions, is those relationships and those 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 examples of the athletes. Like just trying to drawing that yeah. together. Like so many ways to mm-hmm. approach the SEL learning model and those skills. Mm-hmm. But doing it through creating a relationship for these for these youth to then connect with these athletes who are I like what you said gray hair husbands uh, <laughs> they're doing the thing right now they're living it they're breathing it they're like taking time out of their training schedule to sit in front of a camera to connect yeah. with a classroom of thirty of thirty kids in Buffalo yeah. just pick Buffalo and we've or, been or virtual it could and be we've been other. virtual from the get go from the jump I mean this was um, when all mm-hmm. the other many other social emotional learning programs and curricula needed to, to pivot. For COVID, we, we were virtual the whole time. I mean, I was a technique when I was a when I was an athlete. That's really where it you know started out was, I uh, you know video you know did video editing and did all these things. Um, but the only way to engage people who are currently competing, and if you ever worked with currently competing athletes before, whether they're professionals or Olympians or Paralympians, they're very difficult to work with because they are very regimented. Their time is very very valuable to them sitting in a car to drive across the city. E-train, E-train, sleep, E-train, sleep, E-train, sleep. All these things. <laughs> so we needed to find a way that was easy. And I was just about as anal as any other athlete out there, if not the most. So we needed to find a way. And that's, we were virtual, asynchronous video lessons, communications, social, you know, private social media platforms, Zoom, Skype, whatever the flavor of the day was over the last decade. So we've talked a little bit about the why and the what and what you guys are doing. Let's talk a little bit about building the business. You, you, you came from being an athlete. You came from doing some consulting, seeing a lot of the problem firsthand. So, you know, fall, mm-hmm. fall in love with your customer's problem, not just fall in love with the problem. So you got to experience that. Talk to me a little bit about just your experience in terms of building the business, because sometimes it's easy to look at where something has arrived and go, oh, wow, amazing. And we don't take the minutes or the time to unpack a little bit of the learning and the trials and tribulations it took to get there. Yeah, There's nothing no, happens I mean, by accident in my experience. <laughs> it's 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 brutal. I mean, uh, you know, look, um, there's a reason why 90 percent of entrepreneurs have experienced depression at some point um, along the way. It's really it, it's uh, when people come to me and they athletes come to me and they want to try to do this um, or start their own thing. I usually first, second, third thing I tell them is don't do it. Um, go find someone else who's already doing <laughs> something and then try to nestle it, nestle in or support them or be a part of that. So mm. um, but mm. I, I think early on we were very aspirational, which you have to be if you're starting a business. We can change the world. We will change the world. We'll do these things. Um, and then as your business matures, you start to realize, all right, what, what, what problems in society are we shaping and, and changing? And we were looking at that a little more myopically early on. We were looking at from the athlete experience, which is you go in, you give a talk, or a bit, any, anybody who's successful in the way they interact with schools. For hundreds of years, you're a successful business person, you're a politician, you, you're an athlete, you're, you're, you know, you're a musician, you go in, you give a talk, you, you have good things to say, you leave, you never see those kids again. Um, you, know, mm-hmm. it, it, you go back 30 days later, maybe they remember they get out of math class, and you give the old, if one or two kids listened, 
It's worth my time. Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing. Somebody who's successful, whether you're busy, building a business um, or whether you are just a, a just a high-performing person, there's nothing you do in your life that you say, you know, if this, then it was worth my time. Well, no, I'm doing these things to get a result. I'm going to training to get a result. Um, I'm not just going to school to maybe possibly spark one child. We can do better than that. And I think that's the problem we were originally trying to solve. <clears throat> and then that ultimately teachers weren't supported to do these things. It was implicit for a teacher to to create better humans, but no one really trained them. Like, you know, teachers didn't go into teaching to teach to make sure kids pass math tests. They they see math as a vehicle to becoming successful in life because they wanted to grow better people. <clears throat> and I think as we've evolved the business, we've realized, let's, let's start, let's help teachers, let's help our customers, our teachers, principals, superintendents of school districts, school boards, let's help them solve the problems that they have. And those problems have evolved. Um, clearly, the problems of 2010 when we started are different than the problems of 2022. And ultimately, I think, though, if you have a strong enough idea and a strong enough business, your idea and your methodology, you can shape it and morph it, but the foundation of it will last. And I think that's the beauty of what Classroom Champions is and what we build is whether you're talking about being reactive, um, like a trauma, like we're an evidence-based curriculum and program, which means that um, we use research and data to both inform the programs and decisions we do in our inputs, and then we use research and data to measure our outputs to then inform our inputs in a circular way. So building a business, whether you're whether you're drilling or you know, whether you're drilling up north or whether you are like trying to change minds, you are constantly in this feedback loop of your of your inputs and your outputs and what's happening there. So I think that was something that took me a while to learn, right? Because before I started classroom champions, I was sliding down mountains wearing tights. Um, and that is a different feedback. Running, run, running, running, and sitting, running and sitting down. I think you said uh, in, one in, your, in one of your videos I listened to. <laughs> yeah, best, best in the world. Best in the world at running for five seconds and sitting for a minute. Um, you, you right now, you're sitting. <laughs> looks really good, Tyler. You could be world class at sitting. Um, and and that I didn't run here. Though, I, stro I strolled. I strolled here. I strolled here. So that killed it. But but the sitting part, you've got the sitting part down. I wasn't there to see the the stroll. Um, so I think from a building a business standpoint, that's that's the thing. I've you know a few things I've learned is you know. Um, you, you want to be able to adjust and morph, but um, pivoting the entire purpose of your organization is really difficult to do um, and where yeah, a lot of people fail. We, we never had to pivot the entire purpose, um, but we've had to adapt. And, and ultimately, I want us to be proactive for kids. Um, school systems are, you know, integrating counselors into their school systems, which is fantastic. More counselors at schools, but counselors are by nature going to be reactive generally. That will help the worst amongst us for sure. The, the the ones who are afflicted the most by whether it's a pandemic or trauma, or, you know, our kids in these systems. But ultimately, we need to be proactive um, in our systems, and we need to teach social skills and emotional skills that are proactive that you know will will build upon themselves and not just try to mitigate. And, and you got to get kids out of the holes they're in first. Um, but most kids are sitting in a place where they're ready to grow. And that's what we formed our business around over time is realizing our purpose as the business, but also the complexity. I'll say one more so thing what, on that, that, sorry, the, the, also the sure. complexities of it is we work across the U S we work across Canada. Um, so we have a 501 C three in the U S we have a federally registered charity in Canada. We operate that as 
I tried to operate that as a sole business, single business. It took a lot of the, you know, a lot of my mentors here in Calgary are, you know, in oil and gas and they deal with the same thing. How do you run this business cross-border with all the regulations and the differences um, and figure that out? And it's not, it, it is and it isn't different from a charitable standpoint. Yeah, no. There's doing business in the U.S. and doing business in Canada. Even if you get to the logistics of tax and legal, let alone different cultures, mindsets, beliefs, and ultimately, like you said, if there's a strong enough purpose that underpins it, it can tra- it can you know transition across borders. But the realities of running a business in, in Canada, U.S. It's not it's not just oh I have a customer in the U.S. It, 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 the complexities of it are significant. I love listening to what you're saying about just the reality of so much in, in organizations. Though just word remedial is so powerful to me. Because so rarely do I even encounter, even with what we do as marketing, sometimes there's a future plan. Other times because something didn't work, we're always trying to fix or we're spending time with those team members that are having the challenges and the quote-unquote high performers. We kind of leave them alone because that, 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 that squeaky wheel isn't, isn't squeaking right now. And that's such an interesting – it's so in reverse. You get pulled into an area where, you know, I need to help bring this person up. But this person that's already at the pro level, like talking about the athlete having the coach – the athlete has a coach because they're always trying to get better. It's not because they're not already good. And I think that's a real misnomer in our society where we lose focus on and get sucked into the remedial and it can eat up a lot of our time and not that it's not valuable, but what are we doing for the whole proactively hearing, you know, setting that framework. That's just a management shift that I think a lot of managers want to go there, but they're firefighting most of, most of the time. And to hear you talk about it from a classroom perspective, that's the, it's the continuum of, of the human experience where it starts to where it ends up. But the problems we've all dealt with, that have, I think, been amplified through the pandemic. They weren't not there. They've just been turned up the volume. And I, and I would just say, I mean, most of the business leaders I've talked to ultimately are looking at the pandemic as long as they made it through them, their people, their families <laughs> made it through safe. Um, this is going to be the best shock to the system we could have had. I, I'm a firm believer, believer in exfoliation sometimes. And whether you look at politics, or <laughs> you look at, um, whether you look at all these other things, like we've got to, and, you know, exfoliation happens in a sport perspective all the time. That's feedback. That is, we are constantly reevaluating the way we're doing it because <clears throat> there's always a better way, period. There's never the perfect way. We won the Olympics in four-man by more than like any other team had won in 20 years. And I can still look back and know that there was places that we could have gotten better. Um, I don't linger on them. I have my gold medal and I'm good to go. But yeah. but if I but if I had to, I, I'm happy to. I enjoy doing that. When I moved from bobsled into corporate consulting here in Calgary and started working with companies, I was absolutely shocked and then appalled the inability to give feedback. And I think what the pandemic has done is it's allowed us to open us up, open up our ability to, to give feedback to each other in a different way because we were working differently. So we had to coach better. We had to do different things. Um, and that inability to give feedback, I think, is one of the biggest things that is a blocker of like successful businesses. And, um, it, you know, it's sport. It's impossible. I moved to a country moved to a quote-unquote foreign country coming from Buffalo to, to Canada, but I moved to a foreign country to have somebody, a guy named Stu McMillan, who was like Andre DeGrasse's coach in 2016, um, you know, helped him do his three medals there. Um, one of the best coaches in the world, moved to Calgary to train with him, and, you know, he told me what I did wrong 20 times a day. And if he didn't tell me what I was doing wrong, I assumed he wasn't watching. And I was the best in the world at what I did. And then I came into the corporate world, and you couldn't, 
tell somebody who was clearly not the best in the world of what they were doing, what they need to do to get better <laughs> on a regular basis. And that, if we can change that early upstream, imagine a classroom of kids in grade five who take feedback like an Olympian. Imagine the kind of worker, the kind of workforce, imagine the kind of university student, imagine the kind of musician and architect and teacher and finance person they turn into if that's the attitude they have and they don't and they don't know any better like let's teach them these things when we're here let's help or help them form mindsets that that shed them of feedback is bad or being told what i'm doing is bad um, no being told what i'm doing that's bad is fantastic it's the only way i get better that's my that's you, a high horse that yeah. I just like go on. So I love it though. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get on another horse with you on this one. We're gonna go for a ride. Um, I know you don't have the PhD in education. That's your, I think, but your sister. But what's your experience as someone who literally moves across the country to find someone who could give better, more aggressive feedback? Like let's just play it yeah. play it coaching as mm-hmm. I want a coach that can give me even better feedback. Yeah. Where do where's the gap? Like you know, obviously you're working with children now and you're seeing kind of the impact and obviously you're building your curriculums around that. You saw the the worst. You, you saw the the negative outcome of people that couldn't get feedback, and there's yeah. lots of stories. Whether we blew up a hole in the ground or we blew up a space shuttle, like that 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 inability to point out what was wrong. The fire festival, like we document it, we celebrate mm-hmm. it, but yet we don't change. Yeah. What's your thought, or what's again? This is putting the microphone in, in your in your hand. Where do you think? Where have we been going wrong on that? From what you've observed, from being at both ends of that kind of supply chain. Yeah. No. No. It's a it's a great. Fascinating question. Um, I, it's a really, really complicated problem, and I want to say there's a simple, elegant solution, but there's, but there's, there's not really. Um, you know, culture change is hard. I think that ultimately, um, you know, where do you, where do you, you clearly start in schools? You, you clearly do. You, you clearly start where 100% of the population of children are by law. That's where you start. So I'm very happy that I'm seeing we're seeing, you know, investment here in Alberta. Um, the, the minister just recently you know, held a press conference where they're investing in, um, you know, deeper mental health services and, and um, you know, trauma informed care and, and things like that. I think it's still a little bit reactive. I think there's more opportunities to help schools be proactive here um, in these ways and, and seeing these things as skills based. They don't have to be values, character driven, because that, that gets a little messy when you talk about schools and inserting yeah. values. Um, I, I don't think any of us want our schools to, to teach our kids the values. I think I think that's something that we as parents really want to really want to own in a lot of ways. But ultimately, seeing these kinds of things as skills rather than a character trait or or who they who somebody okay. is, I think that's the that's that's where you start. You start by changing the label and changing the understanding that this this person works hard. They have this work ethic, and it's not a work ethic. They've they've learned it. It's been they've been taught it. They practiced it. Um, they've seen success. So I think, uh, you know, supporting teachers, number one, um, you know, you're talking about, you know, here in, look, here in Alberta, it's, it's a huge problem. Like spring survey, I want to say it was like 37% of teachers said they likely are not going to be returning to the classroom. Now, six, like I think 16% of those are teachers who are retiring, which is about average, about, about average 16% of those teachers. Um, uh, you know, teacher turnover is is pretty solid, but like, Teachers who said they were leaving for another job, like doubled this past year, like 14 percent of teachers said they were going to leave for another yeah. job. That's about double of what it generally is. And it was a year before that. Um, and then like another 7 percent said they're leaving province. So that's a 
problem. <laughs> um, like if you don't have teachers in places and then guess what, where a lot of our industry here in Calgary focuses and needs quality education because they're going to be in the field for 40 years. These companies make 40, 50 year bets on a community. You know, it's even worse in the rural communities, indigenous communities, a turnover of teachers. So I think supporting teachers, um, like it's something like 92%, 90 to 92% of teachers are like exhausted and under, you know, undergoing high stress because they've been asked to do things that they're not trained for um, in a lot of ways. So that, that's a, that's a I was problem. Gonna, I was going to ask that question. Yeah. I was going to ask that question. Like these individuals, like, I'm a teacher. I'm 35 years old. I'm yeah. potential or 40 years old. I didn't get this training either. So I'm having to now upskill my own self-awareness because to teach this, you have to be aware of it yourself. And that's a tricky balance. Like, yeah. I can learn math. And we all knew those. We all had those teachers that were fantastic at physics, but they couldn't teach it to save their soul. Like, you know that they knew it, but their ability to teach it. I have huge respect. And there's a skill to understand something and there's a skill to then transcribe it to a group of individuals in a way they go, oh, You've now transferred that that knowledge or that ability to learn this thing to me. But now we're talking about things that you're right, really move between skills and values and what I believe to actually even be valuable as a person and how I'm going to deliver that to a room full of 12 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. No, ab absolutely. And it's tricky, that's the, it's tricky as hell. Steve. It's, it's tricky. It's really, hell. really, it's really, really tricky. It's getting more complicated. And ultimately, teachers need more support like that. I mean, Cosmic Champions, we based yeah. it. I mean, my parents were I grew up. My parents were teachers. I was a my most of my you know the, the main cool. part of my yeah, degree right is in it is in teaching. My sister is a teacher, so we've understood that teachers are the center of the universe for kids, especially kids in low income and disparate communities. Like they, if if their home life isn't stable, teachers their teacher is the most stable presence in their life if their home life isn't stable. <clears throat> but then you've got like this teacher shortage happening. You've got COVID coming in, and then we've got a mental health crisis. So when you like actually unpack that. My American experience was when I entered grade school, like I'm four, going on 44 now. So um, my my you know education experience was in the 80s and the first half of the 90s and K to 12. When I first started grade school, maybe tell me Tyler what it was like up here. When I first started grade school, PE phys ed was a was an every, basically an everyday thing. By the time I left grade school, 10 years, 10 12 years later, it was a once every six days elective. And then. Uh, very similar trend. Okay. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say, I don't know if it's exactly that, but yeah, it was a huge part that I looked forward to. Then it got less and less. And there was all that controversy of like, why is it being removed and what's yeah. going on? And, and because you know, academics were more, Arnold Schwarzenegger got involved to promote, because academics you know, are more important and we only like have, exactly. We only have so much time in the schools and academics yeah. are more important. And again, like, yeah. look, we, we, there's a business crowd on here. Yes, academics are important. Um, but, you know, even this past year in Calgary, like, you know, Colonel Irvine School, um, like there's a you know, story, you know, published, you know, I think CTV or Global ran it, um, where they had such staff shortages, they had to pull PE teachers out of teaching PE so the PE teachers could teach curricular subjects. And guess what? After, you know, decreasing PE value in school, and then even today, even today, as we talk about the schools that are broken and they need support and they need, we need to help them do better and they're struggling with low resources, we're still pulling PE teachers out in the middle of a mental health crisis. You know what the number one predictor of mental health problems are? Physical activity, number one. Yeah. So shockingly, we removed physical activity from schools and two generations later, we have a mental health crisis. Yes, it's the digital revolution, but the, these are fundamental building blocks of, 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 of like humans. And then you remove that and then these things happen. So. 
it's complicated. Like I said before, it's complicated, but then sometimes, sometimes it's not. And that's the thing that we, um, you know, we've really got to do. And, and school boards are looking at this. I mean, look, we do a lot of work in Saskatchewan, um, you know, Southeast Saskatchewan, Southwest Saskatchewan. And like, we, we work with the oil and gas industry very closely to help lift up the communities that they work in in rural areas because we are okay. virtual. Because Classroom Champions is based here in Calgary, but we, you know, Petronas supports Fort St. John region, Hudson's Hope region there, Crescent Point, um, you know, the, the Shaunavan area, the, the Weyburn area, those those areas there, um, mm-hmm. you, you know, uh, Plains up north and, and you know, Northland School Division up there that uses Classroom Champions. And we work with the school division. Sometimes we work with schools. Sometimes we work with individual teachers. But, like, in Saskatchewan, they've identified of the, like, six things that are like the most important to like what skills and knowledge kids need of the six. One is life skills, which is like critical thinking, you know, communication skills, things like that. The second is character education, like resilience, empathy, taking responsibility. And the third is mental health and well-being, like mind and body. Of six things, 50% right now are being identified as generally like social, emotional learning, you know, critical thinking, decision making what what would have been maybe diminished in value 10 years ago as soft skills yes exactly oversimplified exactly. In and, the, under, it, and undersold in right? the corporate world soft skills and yeah. i think that and even when i got into corporate consulting i i wasn't sold on it i felt like a little bit of a you know i felt like a little <laughs> bit of a imposter doing it you know boy 10 12 years later i also like one of my other roles i sit on the board of directors of the u.s olympic and paralympic committee um which is a the largest not you know the largest non-government the only non-government funded olympic committee in the world the largest and most powerful olympic paralympic committee in the world and there's a board of like 15 of us and i've sat there over the last eight years think about what olympic sport larry nasser sochi yeah um, you know, sochi dope rush doping the pandemic um we brought the olympics home to los angeles um what i've seen and what i understand now i realize it doesn't matter how good of an idea it is if you don't have the right people and their <laughs> people aren't in the right place that's the only thing that matters um so that's been for me like an evolution. And now it's made Classroom Champions work tripling down on it to realize that, again, the investment in Classroom Champions, um, you know, we're soon launching a big campaign here. We have one, two campaigns going on. We have one, which is our goal is in by 2025 to have a million kids across North America learning what we call the athlete mindset. Nice. Um, and that's what, that's what, you know, SEL is at Classroom Champions, which is the athlete mindset of goal setting perseverance, critical thinking, decision-making, tenacity, teamwork. Um, but then also we have a big goal to make a, a significant portion of that be in here in Western Canada, um, Alberta, Saskatchewan, BC. Nice. Um, so that's a, that's a big up. goal of ours is to, to like really change the model to then be able to, there's two things within that campaign. By the time we get those million kids and by the time we have like a fair amount of them here in Western Canada, I want this organization to be sustainable. So you talk about the business, <clears throat> charitable, nonprofit, sponsors, donor driven. But ultimately, when okay. schools, guess what's happening is we've been t- the whole part of our conversation is schools have been inject- injecting social emotional learning into their schools. Well, when provinces and states uh, and government prioritize that, guess what happens? Money flows into that. You funding, can't expect funding. <laughs> funding flows into that. So in the U.S., it's a $1 billion TAM right now. It's a $1 billion total accessible market in the U.S. It, it, Canada, it'll take, it takes a little bit longer, and the, the money is, is, is allocated a little bit differently up here. But we see an economic model, you know, engine for the Calgary business 
of the it's a charity, but it's a business where on the flip side, on the back side of that of having a million kids doing classroom champions, we're going to have enough revenue from schools that will allow us to have 100 percent of our operations be based upon school fees. Um, and then we work with donors, donors and sponsors to expand and, and help schools and systems and communities that that can't do it or places that companies just want to have their name on it. And that's that's the goal. So getting big investment right now, doing, you know, doing a four million dollar campaign here in Calgary, doing a 20 million. We have a 20 million dollar campaign, uh, Canadian dollar campaign for the next three years. And if we do that, we hit those things just like you would front load a for profit startup business on the back end of it. Yep. Yep. That investment is going to turn into hundreds of millions of dollars because that is there in the U.S. And we have the brand of sport and we have the partnerships like Jumpstart and we have these other these other big players that we can work with and lean on. Curious because we're I appreciate the business angle. How competitive is this space in the sense of like what you're providing is such a good and such a need, but there's still someone else providing their version of it yeah. in maybe a different way. I'm assuming there has to be. Yeah. Um, oh yes, yeah, it's competitive. Um, the, the numbers are a little clearer in the U.S. It's a little better to understand that. So I'll use U.S. numbers, um, but the, the U.S. Canadian numbers are are pretty equivalent in the way that it works. So okay. just at different billion, scale, different scales. Um, so in the U.S., there's a billion dollar TAM, give or take. Right now, we did a market assessment about two or three pre-pandemic. It was like eight hundred, six to eight hundred before the pandemic. So it's estimated about a billion dollars right now. The largest company in there is approximately 70 million of that. So it's tons of, it's been okay. cottage, it's been a cottage industry. So when you talk about yeah, only 7% of the market share is the biggest one, that means the rest of them are just all cottage industry. So we see an opportunity because of the, the uniqueness of what we do. We approach this from a different way. We approach this with real people. And then we have a curriculum that is underneath it. We have a a, a platform our developers built by field here in Calgary. I'll, I'll promote them. They're amazing. Um, Jesse and Brett over there are, are do amazing work. We have our own platform, our own code. We're, you know, Workland Foundation, Family Foundation is supporting an app that's launching. Um, we are, you know, leveraging corporate and, and personal philanthropy to help have an impact like we always have. But now it's about have an impact while building this local charity to become an engine that if we can gobble up like we have a quality product i fully believe that what we're doing we are doing it better than anyone else and we now have the technology that is doing it better than anyone else we are now um you know we have a curriculum that is incredibly you know aligned with castle this collaborative social emotional learning it's aligned with castle um it can align with provincial and state standards so if we can build the awareness if we can build the like front end, like investment in improving our technology. Cause again, when you have a billion dollar TAM, guess what happens? Or profit shows up. And a hundred percent, a bunch our, of people go running in that direction. Yeah, our absolutely. platform four years ago was, was, you know, ahead of the class kind of now it, if we had kept that, it's, it would be, you know, absolute garbage. So we're having to continuously improve. We're an ed, you know, we're an ed tech company now as well, because ultimately schools are integrating, in a way that they haven't before. So you have all these plugins that, that schools use. So, um, you know, that's the, that's ultimately a, there's a ton of opportunity in the market. Um, I think we have an advantage amazingly enough because we're a nonprofit and a charity, because <clears throat> when your school system, there's a lot of uh, crit critiques that are looking at the school systems right now. If you are a private equity funded, um, you know, a huge ed tech company, 
what are they doing with those kids' data? Why do they want those kids' data? And when you're a nonprofit or charity, you can actually, like, we can use that as a, as a tool for us where we, we, it's harder to get, you know, we're not getting Series A, Series B, Series C funding coming in. But we have people around here, um, you know, Craig Senek from Moore, um, you know, Dave Workland, you know, Jerry Greenall from, from Spartan Delta. The people who really believe in what we're doing, Brendan McCracken from, from Movendis, Mark Fitzgerald from Petronas, these are folks who have been supporters of Costume Champions for many of them for a really long time, and they believe in the work that we're doing. And, um, you know, that, that's coming, you know, Tyler coming on and, you know, speaking to your audience here. Calgary, we don't have many, you know, Classroom Champions is probably the only international charity based in Calgary. They're all Vancouver and Toronto. Um, and I think right. we have a really good opportunity with Classroom Champions and an entrepreneurial organization, an Olympic-based organization, to help kids in Calgary, to help kids in Alberta. We partner with, you know, in our Indigenous programs circle, um, we partner with Six Sigma Nation to build that, um, and not only to help Six Sigma, but to then help those, you know, those indigenous areas across the country. And we're in a province, and specifically right now, and you and I joked about it, you know, the, the thing that we pull out of the ground has got some value right now, and that puts a lot of freedom in, to move for these organizations to have that social impact and have the contribution to the community around them. So I think it's also, and the awareness that's come out over the last three years through the pandemic, with, I agree with you, it, don't waste a good crisis, right? It's the best opportunity to go, whoa, <laughs> we need to take this way more seriously. It wasn't that it wasn't kind of burning before, but the fire got a lot brighter, and people are starting to look in that direction around mental health, resiliency, the quote unquote soft skills, which I don't think are that soft. And I don't think are that variable. <laughs> it's not an option these days to function that way. Uh, right. One thing you touched on, I want to, I'm circling back a little bit, but kind of the measurable outcomes. Do you stick with and do you follow a child through like being involved in your program and kind of like say they got involved at an early, at an early age and they would, they stayed involved. I'm just curious on the outcome. Like how long do you stay with that? Is that the right way to think about it? You stay with that child through their journey to see the output of um, a six-year-old becomes a 12-year-old, which becomes an 18-year-old, which becomes a 25-year-old in the workforce or entrepreneur or changing the world in some way. Is it that way when you talk about measuring outcomes or is it on a shorter horizon? Um, it, it's yes and. It's a yes and. Um, you know, it's, it's expensive and difficult to follow children because you need parental, mm -hmm. especially when you're working on focus, when a big part of your focus is low-income um, disparate communities because you have to lean on those parents a lot or you have to work with school districts who are willing to share data um, longitudinally. So, you know, the first five, six years of the organization, we, we didn't have the resources to do that. And then, you know, drops in a pandemic, um, which then, you know, ultimately measurement, measurement on social, emotional and mental health was programming was very difficult. It was easy to measure the mental health things. It was very difficult to measure programming impact because of all the variables that are okay. happening. So the way that we, we've looked at it, um, and, and I'll say this, with like our research team, I've been fortunate because my co-founder is PhD in education and is at MD, a company called M, nonprofit called MDRC in New York City, which is like to give you an example. When the Secretary of Education in the U.S. Um, Arne Duncan under under President Obama was out in Banff for a um, 2014 or 2015 for a teach, international teacher conference was held out at Banff Springs. Um, and I, you know, had an opportunity to go meet with him. One of our board members um, is in D.C. and is, you know, was Clinton White House education guy. Um, I have incredible board directors at this organization and um, had a meeting with Arnie. <clears throat> we sat down. He's a sports guy. He's, you know, he's one of the guys who played basketball with, with Obama back when you know, we saw all those things happening. And he started asking about programming and, and then he asked about research. And I 
started with my sister at MDRC, and he actually stopped me. It's like, Steve, we've got 20, 30 minutes. Your sister's MDRC. We don't need to talk about that. So I'll say that. And then he invited us. <laughs> that box is checked. That box that is box checked. Is checked. That's he check. invited our team to come and present. And we actually presented to the Department of Education in the U.S. on our research and methodology. So I'll start oh, with wow, saying. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah, I'll start with saying that. I mean, we yeah. have our ethics <laughs> experience from the University of Lethbridge up here as well. Um, and we, how do we look at things? But we look at things in um, there's, yes, we look to follow kids when we can. Very difficult. And, and kind of small sample sizes. But we do pre and post tests of student, students and teachers, and then we do a post-test uh, of comparison groups of students, which is probably our most, um, you know, uh, methodologi methodologically sound way to measure. It's like snapshots in time. These kids, same demographics, similar demographics. These kids did classifications. Yep. These kids didn't. Um, we've done that in our own research across. We've done that in partnership with school districts. And what we see is really, really amazing. When you can change the mindset of kids throughout the course of a year, you see um, reductions in bullying, um, you see improvements in um, academics and grades. Attend attendance is a huge one. Behavior. Um, and ultimately, what we're looking at is the inputs that there is longitudinal data out there. And when I say longitudinal data, I mean these that's 10, 20 year you know, research that's out there. So there are big, huge organizations that have already done that work. So, you know, if you can plug in the input, that that input then equates to these things that are there. I'll give you a couple examples of why we've focused on mm -hmm. kindergarten yeah. to grade eight. So Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, um, the largest health, you know, health-based organization in, you know, in North America, they looked at social emotional skills of like kids as early as five and six years old, so kindergartners, and then they followed them for 20 years. And what they did was they had their teachers predict outcomes for these kids at where they are right now. And it's not the teacher that was going to be with them, so it became a self-fulfilling you know, prophecy. It was their kindergarten teacher predicted based upon their social-emotional skills. And what they found with alarming accuracy was low social, social and emotional skills, like they didn't get, a well with, they didn't get along with their friends, they, they weren't able to control their emotions, they threw temper tantrums, they did all these other kinds of things. Um, what they found was 20 years later, that turned into lower education attainment, um, lower income, higher dependence on the social safety net, higher dependence on drugs and alcohol. So if you can start really, really young, these things start forming really, really young. Uh, another really amazing study that we like love to look at was out of the University of Chicago. They looked at 20,000 kids, huge sample size for education. And what they found was middle school attendance and engagement predicted high school graduation better than middle school test scores. Oh, wow. I'll say I that again. That. Attendance and engagement in middle yeah. school. So grades six to eight, six to nine, seven to nine. Middle school attendance and engagement measured predicted graduating from high school, which, by the way, graduating from high school is the key to the kingdom of escaping the cycle of poverty. You can't graduate from high school. It really, really becomes hard. Your income levels are, are massively different than if you did. Better than test scores. So it wasn't about how smart a kid was. It was about the habits they had and the engagement they had. Um, those kinds of things. So then we look at engagement and we look at attendance as huge factors of what we're doing. And if we can improve attendance in middle school, because, hey, by the way, you know, most of us don't, maybe we do remember, but for our kids, and when they're in grade five or grade six and they get off the bus, they recognize if they turn left into the school or they turn right and don't go to school, no one's watching. No one's watching. It's up to them at that point. So, which is a, uh, a little bit of a scary thing having two young kids, but <laughs> the the reality of, of 
how the world has changed. I really appreciate the, the way you've unpacked some of the metrics you look at and how complex it is, but trying to find like, what are some of those real underpinning? And yeah. they're not always tied to what you might think. The oversimplification of like, oh, your test results clearly shows it. You know, I think I just watched the TED talk. I forget her name, but the, she's like, no, it's not smart. It's not, it's grit. You know, I, you said that very, yeah, Angela Duckworth. Yeah. We, we use a lot of her. Yeah. The, Angela Duckworth. Is oh, great. she said, yeah. Thank you. I couldn't remember her name. Carol. Another Duckworth. great one is Carol Dweck. Who's like the mother <laughs> of growth mindset. Um, and, and we use a lot of their measures and metrics. So they have a lot of, uh, they, they'll publish a lot of research and data and their questions that they ask. So we'll ask and drill into those um, questions. Another really Fantastic. interesting metric that is, sounds very soft to the business community is hope, is measuring hope, right? Super soft, right? Squishy, hey, I mean, whatever. But when you think about it and you unpack it, for both adults and kids, if you can have all the skills in the world that you you can know how to do the thing. You can have resilience and perseverance that will help you through the hard times to do the thing. But if you don't have hope that your actions will make tomorrow a better day for you, why would you use your resilience or the skills to do it? So we did um, Jerry Greenall from I know, a common friend of ours from Smart and Delta hosted a, a luncheon. Yeah. Um, when you mentioned early on, your wife went to a luncheon. Um, she hosted a luncheon for, for women here in Calgary. And we put on a panel. We had a Melissa Bishop, who works at Classroom Champions, who's like a three-time Olympian for, for Canada, an incredible individual. Um, myself, um, my wife actually moderated it. She's a professor at University of Lethbridge um, and thinks about this stuff really well. And then we had uh, the, the woman who runs mental health at Sixtica Nation, um, uh, Dr. Q Quintana Adolfo. And Q really drilled into hope. And it, we always had hope and resilience metrics at Classroom Champions. And frankly, I took the business approach, which is like, mm, I didn't really... I, we had those and like our researchers were really into them and I just wasn't really into them because it was hard to explain it to a business person who was looking to invest. Mm -hmm. We changed the hope of kids. But then when, you know, you actually hear Hugh, Dr. Q talk about on reserves, that's like the number one factor for them right now. So if their kids don't have hope, then it doesn't matter what other skills they have. It is the underpinning of all these things. Um, and that's a really, that was a big wake up call. I, I love it. Everything you're saying. I, I had a business coach years ago, still a friend of mine. He was base commander from Cold Lake. So he took oh, a wow. squadron to the Middle East oh, wow. uh, in Libya of CF-18s. And I remember the first session I had with him, he said, Tyler, what's your number one goal as a leader? What's your number one role? Like the thing you have to do no matter what else happens. And I was like, well, it's a big question, Ron. I don't know. And he's like, hope. Because if you can instill hope that tomorrow will be better than today and the people around you, you've kind of lost your value as a leader. And it was so simple and it hit me so hard. Listen to you talk. I'm like, I'm reliving being in that room. And I've carried that around for the last, the last 10 years. And when things are going sideways, I'm like, okay, well, let's get hope right. And then we can actually work on the problem. Because if we lose hope, the problem then becomes the Mount Everest in front of us, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so again, how do, we, how do we turn our schools into a place of hope? And to me, I'll bring it back to Classroom it. Champions selfishly. Yep. Which Nicely is, done. Nicely done. You, you, show <laughs> <Please> kids, do. <clears throat> you show kids that these are people who have who had dreams when they were your age, because what do we tell kids? Dream big. You can be what you want to be. Right. We all we tell kids that schools are, dream it. If you can dream yeah. it, you can be it. Yeah. We do. If you dream it, you can be it. How many freaking people do those kids interact with on a day to day basis who are doing the thing that they wanted to do when they were 10? Probably, probably a pretty short list. <laughs> probably a very short list. But guess what? Guess what? Bridget Laquette, the first First Nations woman, you know, to make an Olympic hockey team, 
who's a Classroom Champions mentor. Guess what she wanted to do when she was 10? She wanted to be a pro hockey player. Guess what, you know, <laughs> Sam Effa and Brittany Webster and people who you may or may not have heard, Jesse Cockney, who's on Amazing Race, like right now, wearing his Classroom Champion shirt around. If you guys watch Amazing Race, watch it. Um, oh, that's awesome. You know, Tuesday awesome. nights, he's been wearing his Classroom Champion shirt on most, on most of them. He's a mentor for us, um, a First Nations guy, cross-country skier. Um, so if you can show kids and then put people in kids' lives, virtually is fine, who are doing the thing. And people are like, well, not all kids are into sports. And, and I have to really back them up and say it's not about that. All kids gravitate to these mm. people because these people are walking the talk that we're talking. Yeah. And, mm. you know, like some people wanted to be a teacher from when they were 10, but most people didn't. They, 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 they grew that dream later. Um, but the people who are Olympians or pro athletes, and we've had over 300 Olympians, Paralympians, NCAA student-athletes, NHL, NFL. We partner with the Buffalo Bills. This little Calgary, you know, charity partners with the Buffalo Bills. We've, you know, we've, you know, partnered with the NHL um, with their Willie O'Ree, um, you know, launch that happened during, you know, during the pandemic. We've done some amazing things, but ultimately the, the bottom line of it all is, is let's get really awesome people in front of kids and understand that the amount of role models that a kid has in their lives also predicts like whether they're going to stay in school. Like there's data like Jonathan Crane from the University of Illinois did, you know, had amazing research that like literally showed you can take, you know, 40% of the population is, you know, role models by like census data, good jobs, you know, not, you know, don't know incarceration histories, things like that. Um, 40% of people in a community and you have about a 4% dropout rate. You move that number up to five and a half percent from 40% in a community all the way down to five and a half percent of people in a community and the dropout rate doubles to 8%. But here's the tricky part. When you go from 5.5% of role models in a community to 3.5%, it doubles again. The dropout rate oh, doubles wow. again. So, so exponentially changes there. So when you talk about doing things like classroom champions and putting people into kids' lives and becoming that one extra role model in a community, in a classroom, um, that's, that's the power of that on, an, you know, on a reserve in Northeast Calgary, in Jane Finch, Toronto, in Surrey. We worked with Shaw for the last eight years, nine years, and did a lot of work in Surrey, um, you know, North Surrey, BC there, south of Vancouver. So interesting. I appreciate the, 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 the 10X, 100X, 50X, however you want to break it down. Uh, Steve, what did you want to be when you were 10? I'm curious. I'm, I'm just begging them, dying to ask you. <laughs> I want to be Olympian. <clears throat> I started doing junior Olympics. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, for me, uh, for me it, was awesome. 11. Okay, cool. it was 11. I wanted to be an Olympian. Um, I did Junior Olympics, and I was like, this is cool. I want to do this. And then I, like, went to, you know, I was national champion in high school. I went to University of Florida on a scholarship, which is, like, University of Florida is, like, one of the best track programs in the country. That's, like, where you go. And then I was hurt my whole career. And eventually I got, you know, it's for another podcast, but I, you know, I, I got recruited. It, yeah, yeah. The, the transition to bobsled and then into that, into bobsled and then moved to Calgary, and, and here I am. My understanding is most bobsledders don't start out as bobsledders. They start no. out as something else and become bobsledders. Is that the case? <laughs> that is. That is. We're smart enough not to do bobsled early, and then we become dumb enough to do bobsled <laughs> as we get older. Yeah, we're yeah, all track. I mean, Jesse Lundsen, hey, hey. great example. Jesse, you know, yeah. football player. Uh, I was a track athlete. The guys who I won my gold medal with, one was a football player at Air Force, one was a football player in Nebraska. I was a track athlete in Florida. 
I mean, like you said, that's a podcast for another. Steve, thank you so much for one, your passion, your candor, the, the work you've done. I appreciate like just the structure and how you've laid this out and clearly how much thought you and, and, and your entire organization has put into what you're doing and why and how to do it in an effective way. Uh, classroom champions, uh, obviously check out your website. You guys, you also have a great uh, stevemessler.org. You have a great website. If anybody wants to learn more, aside from all the obvious ways to find you, any recommends, social, LinkedIn, what do you, what's your, what's um, your preferred? Yeah, you know, go to classroomchampions.org. Um, yeah, I mean, hip Twitter probably for me is Steve, Met, at Steve Messler, but also you can find me on, on LinkedIn as well. Um, yeah, no, I mean, we, we've got the time, the timing has never been more important. You know, if you, and, and that's where I think for our industry in this city right now where we're seeing, um, you know, influxes of resources. There's no, there's never been a time where you can spend resources in social areas than right now in our lifetimes that you can move the needle. more. <laughs> like that coming out of pandemic, that's, I mean, uh, you know, whether you are a philanthropist who's in your seventies or whether you are in your forties and fifties and you have access to capital at a company, think about investing that big chunks. Now don't not, I'm not talking about, you know, a million here, a million here, a million here, a million here over over the next five years. I'm talking about think about how you can leverage your resources today when you have these resources to to put them into societal places that will help long, longitudinally. If you could find organizations that you can help invest in them, that they can then become self-sufficient, self-sustaining, even better. Um, but man, like right now is the time. So I think, yeah, very, very, we're excited. Um, and, you know, this is a town that gets behind their own um, and yes you know I, this I is this that. is a charity that's that's based here so we we're hoping to be able to really you know come out of the gate strong after labor day and and do some big work for for western canada when the second half of the year really starts post september we all we get through it <laughs> new as year. we get through august where nobody's around and emails go unanswered <laughs> what well, no i mean I, i've answered almost half of my emails this month what are you talking about I, you know, hey, you, every time you and I communicate, you were, that wasn't a shot. No, I don't, I'm also just back from a few weeks away. So my communication has, has increased drastically. It's funny. The more you send out, more come back. The less you send out, less come back. It's a really weird thing. You know, it, 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 it is a pitch and catch kind of scenario. But Steve, I really enjoyed our chat. It was a pleasure getting to know you and learning a little bit more about you, your passions, and especially the work you're doing at Classroom Champions, which I'm a huge advocate. Anything we can do to build better humans, uh, we all we all benefit from self to other yeah. and other to self. Agreed. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for having me on. This was fantastic. That was fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm.